Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. As you know, I'm managing partner and co-founder of Ad One Zero. We help build and deploy really successful revenue teams for uh, B2B services companies. Always a pleasure to be here and learn from another founder. Today we have Matt Doyle. He's the CEO and founder of a company called Array. Matt, like I told you off mic, I always have the guests do the intro of yourself and your company. You do it better than me, and I'm not in the business of mastering your elevator pitch in five seconds. So go ahead and do your thing, and then we'll jump in. That's fair enough. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, being here today. So yeah, I'm Matt Doyle. I'm the founder and CEO of Array. Uh, it's buildarray.com. And we're a no-code tool for operations and risk people to basically digitize all that paperwork in their business and create automation, uh, you know, data integrity, and build applications within their organization. All no-code. So operations and risk. Give me examples of where that, that plays out just for in somebody's business you know, sort of profile. Yeah, so I can I can name drop a little bit with the companies we're allowed to do that with. Um, we work with people like Walmart. So all the stores in the South African location for Walmart, risk, compliance, safety checks, food safety checks. Um, there's over 500 different forms they, those guys do with us. In the last few months, over 6 million submissions. They even did all their COVID pre-checks with us. So sending out text messages yeah. to people, checking their symptoms, all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine that in retail. We also work within insurance, so property inspections or quotation processes. Uh, because everything we have in Array, we have iOS and Android apps for those blue-collar no coders that are in the field somewhere uh, and that's things like wind farms we work with doing environmental checks things like that and then everything works in the web browser as well so it can be embedded or it can be sent out as a link so that lends itself well for law firms hr and sort of insurance industry stuff like that right so the objective is really always this we're, we're taking data transaction heavy types of things that would have been a form or it just makes a lot of sense to have a high integrity sort of collection or distribution process there you could turn those into i, I guess you call it like business process automation types of of applications right like is that kind of what the backside looks like yeah there's a lot of that you know and the thing is is that historically there has been tools that are sit into that bucket more specifically but we're a very very sort of horizontal kind of company in a lot of ways there's lots of industries we can fit into but there's lots of 
tools within an app that are needed to do this stuff well. Um, so initially people do come in and they're trying to just digitize paperwork. That's normally the problem they've got initially, or they're trying to get rid of Excel because sometimes these processes are stuck in Excel, but then they just see a ton of other uses inside Array and obviously get a load more value. We, we have four main components to the system, which is the forms technology, has to have like conditional logic, signatures, taking pictures, taking videos, all the kind of complexity that enterprise and you know, medium-sized companies would need. Document creation, so outputting a PDF document in the exact style and theme that that, that company needs. Then that goes hand in hand with automation. So being able to deliver it and send it to exactly where it needs to go. Does it need text messaging? Does it need approval? And then finally, reporting. We have a custom report builder so you can actually learn from the analytics and the information coming in. Right, right. So the uh, the opposite of garbage in, garbage out, right? You probably walk into a lot of companies where it's sort of like our data collection is bad, therefore our reporting is bad. You yeah. can't get good results. You can't get uh, longitudinal sort of analysis out of how is my company developing over the course of certain metrics unless your data going in is consistent. Data going in being consistent can't be somebody typing randomly off a, a form or you know anything like that. So you kind of get in this round round data quality and data output mm -hmm. issue, and ultimately that's what you're solving. Yeah, I mean it's the it's a bit of a an overused phrase now, is it? It's the part of the digital transformation that businesses need to undergo. Uh, have you ever seen that pyramid where at the top is AI? So everyone talks about how they want to sort of get AI in their business, but you need to think about the the pillars that are in the the pyramid, which is you know data collection itself, organization and cleaning, uh, analytical insight, and we're part of the the kind of underpinning of that pyramid that help us go into the future of being predictive and then being you know using AI and leveraging those tools because you need good clean data, and we're not even getting in here at the security and uh, kind of compliance around that either. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody wants to look up and get super nerdy on this, these are going to be all your like data maturity models and data cultural maturity. And I mean, you can go on and on, but is it the, the main point being that as an organization, how do we treat our data such that it can provide like a, a better, you know, sort of more secure and a predictive environment for, you know, business performance? going forward. So you can go way down the rabbit hole on uh, business and data maturity models, you know, <laughs> if you want to just hit a little Google on that. So, but uh, you know, that, that's oh, why obviously we need to exist, you know, cause uh, no code so that the blue collar coder can use us or the, the citizen coder can use what we do. Cause it is the operations people in the business that know what's up, not the IT department. And also the, even the IT department now are taking more and more flack on GDPR and, you know, things like that and security of information data and they don't want to have to deal with it. So they want to use a software as a service tool. They can just buy and it's handled for them. Right, right. And, you know, people often, it, it's the same argument with AI, right? AI is going to erase the office work. No, it's not. And no code isn't going to take away software engineers. What it's going to do is allow software engineers to work on really substantial problems rather than building out you know, like nobody wants to build the next data collection app for one of 500 forms. Yeah, we should be able to democratize and push that out into the organization. Now, when you have $250 an hour developers that are working on your, your stuff, they're actually solving really important, you know, potentially middleware or hyperscale or engineering problems, not just these basic business issues. I, I think that's the promise of no code is that consistent. 
Yeah, I would say so. You know, we want to be seen as like as trusted as Microsoft Office tool. Like everyone can use those types of technology and you can just open it up and achieve what you need to achieve, you know. And so I think no code has to feel like that. And also, you know, you know, the, the value proposition starts off like, oh, how much money are we going to save in efficiencies, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as it hits the IT, they realize they're squashing a lot of technical debt and they don't have to like keep those things alive or, you know, to just simplify in their workflow, like you say, so they can deal with complex problems internally and not keep old systems alive or have multiple systems that they're paying for on a monthly basis. They can consolidate it with no code. Right. So... That's an interesting point. Like I, I would imagine you have an, an, any, any enterprise or technology related type of sale has this constellation decision making, you know, on the business development side. And anybody that wants to sell into a big company needs to under, understand this. So how's your experience been where you're, you've got to have CTO or CIO check the box. You've got to have COO check the box. You've got to have probably, you know, business process probably even finance people check the box. Like you have a complicated sale into enterprise with a, you know, a relatively new way of thinking about solving problems. How, as a, you know, as you, as you grew from a startup, how have you kind of cracked that and understood how to sell into big companies? Because I think everybody steps in, thinks they want to do that. And that of course that's where the money is. Let's go and get it. And that it's hard, you know, and it's hard to do direct sales to big companies. Yeah, and similarly to government agencies and things like that that come up as well, uh, because uh, there's a there's money there. There's there's a lot of value that can be added because they're but they're laggards to to you know that's the big challenge you've got to overcome. But what's happening is that. As if, let me just unpack this a little bit. So you, you, first of all, you have these kind of this laggard, these laggardy industries where you've got these people who just want to keep their job and, and see it through. You're getting fresh blood coming in now. So you're getting younger people who are happy to sort of roll up their sleeves uh, that are not just necessarily just there for the long-term career. Uh, and then, yes, you're right. You absolutely do need to sometimes tick those boxes. But what we're finding is that there's credit cards in companies. So as long as you can be under that payment threshold when they first start you out and you can add value from day one, that's the whole thing about what we try and achieve at Array is you can calibrate it and you can customize it as much as you want. But with those four pillars, you can get up and running within the first two weeks, you know, a week or so, and it's, it's adding value. Then we can help with more advanced, you know, automation or app build out and then there's then pay thresholds beyond that you know but then we haven't had to go and do long negotiations with financing and legal to go through because our standard terms have done the job our kind of security policy that they've seen is ha they're happy with the price can be paid for on a credit card and then as you scale yes you need to get the other people in, in involved but you know, like I said, we went through security audits and pen tests and things like that with Walmart. So we've got quite a good security audit we can, you know, show people straight away. And then we're just evangelizing through the company. And actually, we want that problem. That's a good problem for us to have. It does take time and we want to scale them as quick as can. But we get to introduce to other departments. And that's where we really win because we can add a ton of value across departments. It used to be that the, the saying was there's an app for that. And we used to have an app for every little mini thing, the alarm clock, this, the, that, the whatever. Uh, and now people are kind of sick of having multiple applications and they want to consolidate. So that's where we win. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody wants to look this up, this this strategy that Matt just described from a business development standpoint, it's called land and expand. Yes. So you can look look that up. So, the other yeah. the other one we were kind of obviously referencing there was crossing the chasm. 
uh, mm-hmm. as well, uh, where you kind of understand the early adopters, the innovators, the the early market, the late adopters, the laggards, things like that, which is obviously <clears throat> calling on like making sure that if you are targeting big um, companies that have, have historically been kind of old school in their mindset, that you're finding the innovators within those organizations who can adopt it and evangelize it and become your you know, your spokesperson within the company. With, with Array, we're trying to build fans. Uh, that's Seth Godin tribes, you know, like looking at people in, in, and trying to create a fan from our customer in the organization and then and grow through there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good segue on, you know, just talk to me about your your journey to becoming a founder uh, or founder journey, if if you will. You know, lessons learned along the way. You know, can you look back and offer some insights to the people that are, are sort of on that path and and maybe, you know, haven't landed Walmart yet? <laughs> right. Well, that's not the end of the journey by all means. Absolutely. <laughs> but like, so that is the thing you're obviously constantly learning and, and it, it depends how long we've got because you know, I could go way back. The first business I ever had was when I was 16. I was just uh, working in a supermarket and printing t-shirts and selling them to the shops. But so I always knew that I kind of wanted to work for myself and and do my own thing. Um, it took a bit longer than that to <clears throat> find my way with it. And it was about how you execute and how you stay focused. Um, I, I was, a, a well, I still am, I'm dyslexic. And I, I think that, um, that I, I needed to learn how to sort of like focus my efforts because dyslexic people can be super focused and passionate and powerful, but you need to focus your efforts. So that was my f- sort of adolescent years. Uh, and then uh, I quit the full-time job when I was about 23. So I've been, I'm now 35 as we record this. And so when I was 23, I used to be a freelance designer. So I'd build websites, branding, things like that, then kind of cut my teeth and got more into conversions. So building e-commerce sites, uh, working with affiliate marketers. Then I was able to get more into software design. So I designed a few little apps for fun. Um, So I was, you know, working for clients this stage. It was my own business, but being told this is how it should be. No, it's not red, it's blue, whatever, right? So there's always a bit of frustration when you kind of uh, have the client in that respect. So I started making my own app. So I made a, a, an e-commerce site and I also made a an app for counting down to your wedding. I just wanted to make an app. So I, I made an app that I could probably pull off quite quickly and could have a sort of viral feel to it. And with that, I actually got invited to the Apple Developers Conference in London. And then that was like, wow, this is, these guys are, you know, because they were sort of talking about the future of iOS. This is a a while ago. And they were talking about, you know, showcasing these developers and the amazing work they were doing. I thought, you know what, I've got a bigger idea than this. And um, while I was doing the design, I was doing a bit of uh, work with the marketing industry in London. So uh, field marketing, stuff like that, because a previous job had been working for Sony Ericsson. Uh, working on field marketing for them. Got to do a lot of cool things. And also had a bit more of a bug there as well for technology and how I would better technology myself. We had the, there was called the P90 back then, which was a touchscreen, had a sat nav way before the iPhone, but it just wasn't a great UI. It was symbiont. It was a, it was a, it had a stylus, stuff like that. So had this experience in marketing as well. So I would kind of consult for marketing agencies. Um, and I'd seen this at Sony Ericsson as well, where we were in the field and the data collection just was poor. Like you were just kind of like going back to your room and do it on Wufu, um, on the laptop, trying to find you know a, a hotel Wi-Fi to do it on. You were then uploading pictures from a camera because at the time, you know, when I was doing that kind of stuff, phone cameras weren't amazing. So you had to have a decent site, you know, decent camera. So I had a sort of decent Sony camera. Then I so I get the SD card in, map it all together, and send all this information back. And I said, 
it'd be amazing if you could do this first offline in the field and it would be amazing if you could drag and drop like you can with Wix or something like that to create these types of things and I'd seen it like I said in a few places so that was the whole beginning of trying to start Array uh, but I knew it was the biggest idea that I'd ever done and I couldn't just self-fund like I'd previously done we needed to make an iOS app an Android app and a back-end system to, to support it um, so I started going out and this is a lesson I think I learned, which is good, which is like try and see if people would actually pay you for it. So going and talking to these agencies and seeing if people would be interested and then starting to sort of get it kind of work out how we could get it built and how we could do it. But I started designing it, scoping out the idea. Luckily, because I'm a designer, uh, I could design it all and sort of convey that story. Uh, and even today, I design everything you see on the Array website and the systems I design at the moment. Um, but I love it. And it allows me to have that real hands-on with what we're doing. So yeah, that was the beginning of Array anyway, and my sort of my background. So, you know, my background is, has been product development, developing apps for other people, managing product teams or and dev teams, and whether that's doing all the design or it's managing the teams that do that. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. And so you you were able to bootstrap it then off customer discovery and early Yeah, so revenue? what happened is we actually went to a, a business accelerator at first uh, and um they kind of gave us a little bit of money. It wasn't enough to build. It was enough to sort of live off for a few months and actually kind of really flesh out the idea. And then what happened was we'd met some investors and they're like, this is a really great idea. You, you, should, you know, we'd be interested in doing this deal. We did a lot of due diligence with them. We had to go back to the UK and then it was all going to plan. One of them came over from America to the UK and met with me and it was all kind of, yeah, this is going ahead. And then I hadn't heard much from them and it was getting into sort of like, I'd be, you know, December had gone and because I, I went home for Christmas and it was like January, February, I was like, then I got a phone call, it's like, deal's off. Uh, I was like, why? And they're like, because we're reinvesting in other startups that are struggling and they need the money. So this part of the fund is going to these people. So I was like, totally back to square one. It was really bad. And um, we still didn't really have much at that point. We had it all flipped. We knew exactly what we were going to do and how we we're going to do it. And by that point, we decided it wasn't just about field marketing. It was about every business that has problem operationally. Uh, but uh, luckily, a friend of mine and a client I've been working with said, well, we've been friends for years. Like, you know, We can't do one big lump of money, but we can fund the developers we've been working with on these e-commerce sites. Let's do it. And so we all sat around a, a big dining table and discussed the idea and in a development framework behind it and got started. So we, we the bootstrapping was there. We were just, I was working on it as much as I could slash full time. And then we had our lead developer that we'd been working with on other projects to just start coding it. It was just the three of us hacking away at it or three, four of us hacking away at it uh, for a while because we knew there was this bar of acceptability to the products and we've been very, very product focused. But as soon as we had something, I tried to sell it. And, and that's one of my biggest things I learned, which is uh, even though I did that, I still probably wasn't as gung-ho as I should have been, which was like sell it as soon as you can because that's how you know where the value proposition is uh, for people and you learn and you learn if they like it or it's good or bad i was just nervous because um i knew it wasn't where i wanted to be being product focused i'm always i'm guilty of always being excited about what's coming next not what we have today you know but we thought we had something good then we have something even better now uh, our first client we landed was uh, was actually a quite a big one as well luckily it was Le the leah Burnett group which is um big ad agency and uh, we did a load of field-based sales stuff for them with our, with our software. And that was a bit of a journey <laughs> because um, they had Samsung as a client. And all we had at the time was the iOS app. So like, oh, we need an Android app. And then that's another story about how not to plan that went. 
but they were happy in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The cross-platform stuff is, is going to dog us, I think, forever. So, you know, until until there's actually some kind of outstanding cross-platform, you know, sort of frameworks that really, 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 really actually do that. And that's that I, I put that right along the category of AI, you know, we'll, we'll have it in, in a few oh, years. We'll see when we, uh, so, yeah, we, when we started so. building Array, there was nothing that was really very mobile friendly, it was mobile JS, but we've moved a lot of our stuff now to React and then ultimately to React Native we, for that, with that same vision in mind that you're saying, which is how do we get it to native experience as nicely and quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, Coming from that that product lens, I, I love that because you're really thinking about like customer discovery all the time. You know, I mean, it really is a huge informer for your your product roadmap. But you're, you're right that most folks would tell you, and, and I hear this story a lot from founders, and I've I've done it. You know, sort of sell it at the level that it like at least as the product mind, you're kind of embarrassed about this thing. Like you you really don't love it, and you know, it, and most people. Oh, I'll sell it when it's ready, but you never get ready. You're never ready. You're never happy with the thing. Years down the road, you probably won't be fully happy with it because it's your vision and it's your your thing. When I tell people, you know, but again, what problem are you solving? And are, are you solving the problem well enough that you're conveying value? You should sell from that value standpoint isn't what it could be but right now are you developing value um, in essence and, and sort of in excess of of what you are offering if if it's worth it then yeah. it's worth it and that, and that that's always been a passion of mine and, and because it's designed it had to look good it had to feel nice to use and as well for me and we and then that transcended into like our team and how we structure our culture like uh, we have a saying internally which people hear me say all the time and we've got a big neon sign coming soon with this on which is listen hard change fast so we want to listen hard because sometimes a customer says i want a and actually they want c they just need to usually dig into that idea dig into what it is they're trying to fix the problem and then also having that kind of communication for the team where like someone else can say well actually that would solve this other problem for somebody else as well so and then the fast part is obviously there's no point just putting it on a roadmap that's going to take years to, to, to realize you need to figure out how you can prioritize things that are quick wins and that's kind of we're getting in there a bit of a, a lean methodology a little bit there, having hypotheses and building uh, things out. But um, listen hard and change fast is a big part of what we do. And, and the first hires I made when it wasn't just us anymore and we could actually hire people were people who had really great sales uh, product and sort of customer experience backgrounds that could like really technically understand what the person's asking for and then manage directly manage with the dev team on how to achieve that. Right. So you have a, a full staff approach that is really product focused you know, there, you can you can find a lot of companies that are marketing sales revenue focused you know and and sort of partner with product but I, I sense that you're probably from your own persona you've you've driven the entire culture in the the product led type of, of direction and it's, it's all about that excellent experience you know for the the customer yeah. i think the bar um, is raised so much it, higher with software as a service now you you can't you know people used to just use twitter bootstrap you know bootstrap style stuff and try and thrust that on people i first of all don't think it's acceptable and i don't think it's been acceptable for a while but i think you know people like steve jobs have even said for the longest time like just focus on that pr a really 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 great product and and people will will pay you for it so really enhancing that value proposition um by making a fantastic product 
Right, right. So how do you take all the customer feedback and any of us that have enough customers to have different feedback will know that you actually get different Mm -hmm. feedback from each customer about what they want. And so you can say you're customer driven, but you can't do all the things. And people will always be adamant about the thing that they want, but you need to have a roadmap that doesn't fork in a hundred directions. What is a good mechanism that you found to segment amongst the, the feedback and to prioritize the feedback from the customers? Yeah. Well, making a good product isn't about doing everything to everybody, you know, um, a jack of all trades. Like we need to be doing what we do our discipline really well. Now there's a few things there, like how do you take customer data, you know, information in and how do you sort of validate it? And I think that comes back to that marketing way of looking at things where you find evangelists in the business. So they're coming from a sort of good place. They, they want it to succeed and you want it to succeed. So they're looking for ways that help you succeed as well as them. So I think maybe not as, you know, you, people come in with a bug, you need to fix it, you know, like, but if, um, if you're getting a lot of noise, it's about how you listen hard and really filter through that information. Again, having smart people in the team that product focus uh, allow you to do that. But the way we work the actual roadmap is because I think to make a really great product, you can't just listen to the, to the audience. You have to have a vision of where you see, you need to gaze into the future of technology like we have today. We know people want to get to AI, people want to get here. And, and what are the stepping stones towards that? So some of the stuff we're working on now will come about in a quarter or two, but nobody's really asked for it. That <laughs> uh, we know it's a natural step of like something kick-ass that we can build if we just pulled those, it pulled it in this direction. So now we do sort of showcase it to people as we go. Like, how do you think this is cool? Do you think this is cool? And just double checking, but you have to have a, a usually a founder-led vision of where it's ultimately going to go. And that's the course. We had um, a staff catch-up back in January and I went through, this is what we, how, how 2019 went. This is what we did. This is what we achieved. We looked back a bit. But then we looked forward. It's like, this is where we want to be at the end of the year. So what are all the steps we have to be doing now to get there? Not just financially. And obviously it has to be important in keeping the lights on, but um, in the product. So like there's things we're doing now, which aren't going to be the final thing, but we know are the components that are falling in place for six months down the line. Right, right. Absolutely. And I imagine in the time that you've been running this, uh, you've seen the no code sort of, you know, get a ton of attention and people are using the term probably in ways that it shouldn't be used and everything gets the label slapped on it, not unlike AI. It's just another trendy sort of, you know, term. So how do you experience that, you know, in the industry where there's a commoditization around a term, but you kind of have a pretty strict vision about what you think that is. And, and maybe you were earlier at the table, you know what I mean? Like that happens, I think to a lot of stuff. So. Yeah. And you're right. There's a, first of all, there's a lot of buzzwords that people just drop. Blockchain is another one of them. People love to drop that in. And, and sometimes they don't even know what it means and how it would apply to what they're doing. They're just like, Oh, by the way, one day we're going to add blockchain to this. Um, <clears throat> but in the beginning, nobody got what we were doing. Honestly, it was real hard because we were talking to investors or we were talking to people. They're like, yeah, but you're just a form store. You're just a survey monkey. Why would we need you, the survey monkey? So, well, that's not what it is, you know? And and it really was hard to get people to understand. And that was on me as well, like uh, to to learn how to craft the the narrative. The other thing people wanted is they wanted you hyper-verticalized. So like, you should work in this one industry. Like there's things of kind of little bits of what we do just in oil and gas. And we're like... 
And so, and obviously there's value in verticalizing elements of your product. You know, we've seen great success with box.com doing things like that, but, um, and Salesforce, obviously, people like that who, who who have a very broad product but can do that. So that's I'm not saying that from a sales and marketing strategy, but uh, and I never did, I never denied that that needs to be done. But the fact that we weren't solely focused on one industry, it was hard to get across to people. And we that's why we did one of the other reasons we didn't raise money for so long because no people found it hard to get what we were going for, and no and no code wasn't a term. It wasn't a term. It, um, but I, I, I sort of almost feel when it happened, all of a sudden, uh, everyone's like, oh, you're no code. Oh, you're this, you're that. And then like, yeah, we are. And they go, oh, we get it now. Because people like uh, the, like Airtable started coming through and people realized, oh, okay, it's not necessarily just for this or that or that. You know, and in a Slack even, like Slack started off in the developer community, but then obviously it's not a no code tool, but it's a more like, you know, horizontal play. And then we just started getting, now I get calls every single, I mean, this is just down to our, our success that we are having as well, obviously. But in the last year or so, every single de- week, I get a call or a message from people who are trying to acquire no-code stuff, trying to partner with no-code stuff, invest in no-code things, everything. You know, it's real, really hit off. And actually how we found our last investors around were, were VCs reaching out saying, hey, this is an exciting space. We want to be part of it. So yeah, it's a brand new term. Now I think the the thing that we are seeing in it is that we're gonna we do see some that are like yeah, it's not really no code. That's just kind of like a piece of software. But trying to sort of ride off that a little bit. I think the way that we'll define it, I haven't <laughs> I haven't scripted this. So I'm sort of coming up at the top of my head, but it's about actually how much closer you can get people to software development uh, without even seeing it. Uh, there's an analogy that I use, which is kind of like a, if you've ever had those a calculator and you've peeled off the buttons, you can't tell what's going on underneath, but you just overlay the buttons and all of a sudden you can c- create complex sums like it's nothing. But if you didn't have those buttons there, you couldn't do it. And obviously the, the beginning of that was the Wix is out there and things like that. And now it's becoming way more advanced what you can do. It's blurring the lines. And that's why we use Sorry, that's why we use the, uh, the the phrase blue collar coder because these operational people or these citizen coders, they know what they want to achieve. They just have always had that barrier to entry because of the the IT team being the only ones that could do that. Yeah, and like the vocabulary, like I, you know, I just I need to be able to push a button, right? Like it isn't yeah. it isn't that I don't know what, what I want. It's that there isn't the button for what I want, but the combination of a few buttons, like I can understand that, you know, and that yeah. that makes sense from a from a logical standpoint. So yeah, and, and people talk a lot about that democratization and, you know, of, of all those types of things. And this goes back to, you know, the first WYSIWYG sort of web developers. I don't know if people even use that term anymore, but so that was the term when we started out. Yeah. It's like, oh it's WYSIWYG. It's WYSIWYG. Yeah. It's right. And, and then it's drag and drop. And and Microsoft pioneered a lot of that with Visual Studio, you know, ultimately like at the beginning and people thought they were, you know, you well, you can't drop in a component like that. That doesn't work. And you know, how do you hook the button up? And then it even goes back to Excel macros and, you know, all types of of things like that. So yeah, I mean you have to if there's any lesson there, it's like being early kind of sucks because it's like when you have an early vision, you un- unbeknownst to you, you are internalizing in your business. Like you have to finance the full education of everyone. Uh, so being a fast follower is actually easier, you know, when you don't have to pay for the education of everyone. So like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a double-edged sword to being sort of innovative because if you're early, you have to pay 
to teach everybody what you're talking about. Totally right. And you're, you're inventing the verbiage. We're the William Shakespeare's of verbiage coming up with how to explain things and how to do things. Yeah, and like you say, that these terms have changed over time and people start to understand them more and more and more. And you get, and you get a, it's a spectrum because, you know, you get at one end of the spectrum, you get a figma, which is helping you, like, as a, because I came from a design background with, like, not, I could code a bit, but not to the level I ever wanted to, to be able to achieve the full visual of what I wanted to. And so Figma's allowing people to do that, is, a, you know, build a whole website, a whole app experience and make it physically work, writing the code underneath. And that probably will always be, for the people who are trained in UI and design because they're figuring it, you know, there's a lot more learning curve. It's like a, but even people have got better at using Photoshop now, but there's obviously slimmed down versions of Photoshop, isn't there, for the novice. And then there's going to be, need to be tools like us who have ready-made building components to, to help you. And then you get low code as well. You've heard that one, I'm sure. Like, so it's like, there is some development involved. It's just going to be a more rapid building experience. Right, right. Yeah, and there should be that spectrum, right? And, and I think... If anything, now there's going to be such a proliferation of options that discoverability and understanding from the buyer standpoint, which of the hundred different things in the stack should I use and, you know, mapping my actual business needs to that. So you see this, you know, in the sort of marketing and sales stack now, like it's ridiculous. There's thousands and thousands of tools. So I think the same thing happens, you know, in each of the verticals. And then it, your marketing and education has to evolve to the point where you can say, let's evangelize this particular vision view and horizontal solution. So I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about like you're using, we talked about off mic, you're using an accelerator as a, which is a community building type of uh, almost like a no code DevRel type of a vibe, right? Like, and so you guys are rolling that out. I mean, that's really a marketing community building strategy. As you have learned, I'm sure it takes a tremendous amount of work. So, you know, talk about that because giving back to the community in that way is, is beneficial. And yet I, I know that you probably had to make a tremendous investment in it. Yeah. I mean, just to go back on your thing, like educate, if you can avoid educating a whole new market, that is obviously a better for some for building a business that's when we used to build the e-commerce sites we built a tennis website everyone knows what tennis equipment is and stuff you know we so we chose that industry so we didn't have to re-educate people on a new doohickey uh, but array and no code tools are new doohickeys and we need to educate the community and empower people and so uh, there's a really good website out there actually called MakerPad, which is not nothing to do with us, uh, but MakerPad, which is teaching people how to use no-code tools to achieve things. Uh, but we actually kind of are working with MakerPad to do a launch, actually, uh, which is going to be called uh, Shift, which is an accelerator, like we said. Uh, now, we're not going to charge for it. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of benefits available for people, free kind of uh, access to free accounts. Obviously, Array will be one of those, but other tools that people want to use. And the idea is to target consultants who are consulting companies and implementing things for people. Maybe they've previously sold Google apps or something like that, and they're looking to diversitize in their capabilities. And the other one is people within organizations who want to learn how to use no-code tools to make a, a positive change in the organization they work for whatever the company size is and um so we're doing it for free but it's gonna be we're working on the curriculum at the moment there's going to be uh speakers there's going to be courses on how to do certain things and it's not going to be focusing on array uh there'll be other tools and other sort of software no code software uh in there i mean the good thing is is we don't directly compete with every no code piece of software so we're, we were more than happy to work together 
we've always described ourselves as digital plumbing. We need to like pull and push data and link into things seamlessly. So it's going to be loads of cool things like that. And we're actually supporting it with a like a, a directory as well, actually, because we we were like you know like other technology companies, we're in things like Captera and things like that, and GetApp all owned now by Gartner anyway, but that's a way that's been helping people navigate the software space, hasn't it? So like, uh, and they created the categorization for software in general, but we saw a bit of a need for that in the no code industry as well. And no, we see in the future, like again, looking into the future, there'll be job roles for no code in organizations. They want to know your no code levels on your CV, you know, your resume used to put I can use Microsoft Word, I can use Excel, uh, which maybe seems really obvious now, uh, but I see that I can use Array, I can use um, Twilio or whatever. We'll also be on there. And so we're also launching nocoding.co as well, which is a, a fairly nice domain. And that's going to be to sort of support it in that kind of way as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, to do support the ecosystem at large. And, and I think you're right. You know, people are going to have to sort of go... Uh, not unlike you have a specialized, you know, sort of data-driven or business analyst type of resume now, where I know how to use Tableau or I know how to use Power BI. This is the next evol- evolution of that, where it's not just I can present a reporting layer. I've got your four verticals or you know, the, or four pillars of you know how do I do things and and move the plumbing around. So now I don't have to you know kind of figure that out inside. And I, I think part of your maybe part of your accelerator, you know, is sort of discussion strategy ought to be around that talent development type of space. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do I bring people on to solve these problems? Cause there's uh, <laughs> talk about education again, there's no job for that, you know? So yeah. I, I'm a no code analyst or something of that nature. So yeah. I agree. And that's what no coding's uh, no aimed at doing. There'll be an online, online course. Well, you could, there'll be over a few months. You'll be, there'll be online things, but we're also going to do a physical one here in Austin, Texas, where we're going to have some people here as well. Obviously when, health uh regulation allows and stuff we want to have some people here as well we're looking at doing this in the in the summer but you're you're absolutely right and i've actually you've that shift has started if you know like i remember when i was talking to big companies and they're like oh how do you project manage oh we use waterfall and things like this right and scrum and now i'm hearing lean and that's the that's the turning point that they're using this lean methodology and they're educating this in big companies and government We've seen it being, I've been seeing it done in government as well. So that's a good sign that they're getting nimble and they're kind of opening up because they're sick of paying these, the, the oracles and the SAPs out there to, uh, and not be, not being able to get under the hood and uh, being beholden to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you don't like paying a hundred million dollars for, you know, a couple of forms or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other reason to be horizontal because you can add value. Across. We were talking to a government agency the other day in Australia and they were saying, we're using this tool that just does this. And we said, well, that's we're, you're going to find that we're more affordable because we don't just work in that industry. <laughs> we work across industries and we're going to solve a lot more problems. And so that's the other problem with education is that person's maybe not coming in thinking I'm going to solve more than one problem or cares about solving more than one problem. There's just the one. And that's how we have to, we have to work on our sales strategy to make sure that we don't get them too, you know, excited about all the other things and keep them focused so we can close the deal and move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to, you sort of a horizontal solution to a bunch of point solutions and they're already invested in a bunch of 
point solutions. So you need to uninvest them in that and change the paradigm. And, you know, it's just, just the constant sort of innovators dilemma, <laughs> you know, that happens to us. Yeah. So, we are seeing positive yeah. things in there. I had, a, I had a coffee yesterday with a reseller of ours. They've got an office in the UK and they've got an office here and they were saying, actually, we need to swap out these pieces of tech because these, uh, vertical verticalized solution for like form collection, HR, they've gone under. So we've just got an on-premise solution that's never being supported again. The client's asking for these things that it can't do it. And that, and even if the company existed, a lot of time they wouldn't just add new features and functionality for people. So, and that's our job to be as flexible as possible. So we're like, fantastic, introduce us. <laughs> and so we're now going back to people who have these legacy tools that were very one-point solutions and just displacing them. Yeah, I love that. And that's what NoCode will do. Love that strategy too, yeah. Find, find the people that are getting you know, sort of marooned by uh, an investment in a point solution that doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah. All right. Well, we can go on forever, but we're running out of time. So, Matt, I wanted to give you a chance to at least just how can people get in touch with you about Shift, uh, about Array, about your entrepreneurial experience. So just talk about your channels, websites, you know, make sure we get all that out there. So yeah, you can go to buildarray.com, uh, which is our main domain name. And you'll find everything on there, including what we're doing with you know COVID kind of reactions and things like that as well. The directory website is nocoding.co and it's its own thing, uh, its own unbiased thing. But then I will give you guys a link as well to the shift URL uh, in particular. I'm sure it'll be buildarray.com forward slash shift, where it's a free accelerator. You can sign up and you'll be able to, you know, there will be in a selection process, but we're looking for people who are consultants, uh, resellers, uh, working organizations that want to learn and shift the way their business works, shift the way that their mentality is around implementing things, people. And so we can all together create a new economy of no code kind of evangelists in the world. I love it. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and giving us the insights and uh, onward or no code land. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.